Well, good morning, everyone. This is Alicia Bales live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax here for a special, special edition (laughs) of the local coronavirus update. Good morning, Drew. Good morning, Alicia. All right. Why are we here? (laughs) Wait, not not the big existential reason. Why a special edition? Oh, it is existential at this point, right? Yes. Feels that way. Um, Boy, when I was saying over the course of last month that January was going to be the month that everybody gets COVID... I thought I was being a bit apocryphal, um, but turns out I might have been right. You were right. Um, yeah, so crazy, crazy mad numbers uh, locally, um, statewide, and nationally. It's, it's, it's upon us, folks, and this is going to be a this is going to be a painful couple of weeks. The real question is, um, how much hospital capacity are we going to retain? Um, because that's really what's going to drive how severe this gets. Uh, so how are things going right now? Of course, we're talking about the Omicron variant and the surge that we're uh, hopefully in the middle of, but maybe still at the beginning of. Well, we're definitely in it. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, we were not going to know where we are in it until we have, you know, the bell-shaped curve starting to define itself. And really, we're not seeing that anywhere yet nationally. And the East Coast was a little bit earlier on the Omicron surge, and they're really not starting to see a flattening yet. Uh, maybe some hints in some jurisdictions, but nothing that can be extrapolated in any significant way. So I'm afraid um, that we have another week of climbing at least in terms of case counts, um, you know, putting our Omicron peak, um, you know, there had been talk about it being the end of January, then maybe right around now. Um, I don't think it's right around now yet. It's probably another 10 days off. Um, so we'll see. It's it's pretty wow. grim. Yeah, lots of cases. The good news is uh, we still have um, good hospital capacity locally. It's getting pretty tight um, regionally, but here in the county we are doing fine um relatively speaking but you know if you need specialty care outside this county um, which a lot of people do um it's it's getting pretty hard to find beds well what you work in the er at the the hospital in ukiah what's what are your shifts like what are you seeing a lot of uh, mild cases of covid um sort of symptomatic people that feel terrible um that don't require supplemental oxygen. That's kind of really the determination of whether you need hospitalization or not. Um, And in general, most of these people do not require supplemental oxygen and thus can go home. Are these people who know that they're COVID positive, but they're just concerned that they might be both uh, in danger both so we're seeing people coming but coming in because they feel like they're doing less well um and in fact they are doing less well um and some people are just coming in with mild symptoms which happen to be covid these days so let's t- let's do the numbers now to give people a snapshot of just how different this is sure so right now we're adding about 75 covid cases a day in the county um, we're up to 9,183. Um, this is a one-week interval since our last show, so we've added over 300 cases in a week. Um, we have 300, just a few over 375 in isolation, only 40 in quarantine, which tells me that we're actually not quarantining anymore um, because uh, yeah. that ratio is, should be the other way around. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on there, but... 
honestly, at this point, there's so much Omicron and it's so contagious. I'm not sure how much um, those numbers actually translate to any sort of semblance of control. Um, we've had, unfortunately, four more deaths in the last week, um, bringing our COVID mortality in this county up to 109. But hospitalization is quite low currently. Um, as of yesterday, we only had three people in the entire county hospitalized for COVID. Um, so, you know, entirely manageable. Our our case count uh, per 100,000 is about half what Sonoma County is. It's about half what they're seeing in the Bay Area. So for the moment, after having done particularly less well um, than our regional um, sister states, uh, we're doing a little bit better. Now, that will probably swing um, over the course of the next couple weeks. But for the moment, we're actually not quite as acute in terms of cases per 100,000 than states uh, than counties south of us. Could that be because of undercounting or underreporting? Yeah, it's undercounting everywhere, right? Yeah, so, right. Okay. You know, so, you know, so we're we're adding, you know, seventy five cases a day that are confirmed and yeah, reported. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, I, there's, I would submit an equal number that are not being reported that are home tests, and then there's probably several times that um, number of people who are just not getting tested um, or don't know that they have it. Um, so, you know, our, our case counts are crazy high um, in the reported sphere, um, and we can multiply that by some unknown integer to get an idea of how many cases are actually seen uh, locally or statewide or nationwide. I think there's a, a technical term for that amount, but I'm not allowed to say it on the radio. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, so California is up 600%. Oh, my God. Um, over the course of two weeks, we're adding over 100,000 cases a day in the state of California. So those are those are numbers that are higher than we've ever seen at any point in the pandemic. The United States added 1.4 million confirmed cases of Omicron yesterday. Um, our average is around 750,000 cases a day right now. So Omicron is all around us. It'd be a good Christmas jingle. (laughs) Hospitalization, that's the real metric that we're looking at nationwide. We have um, also surpassed previous um, COVID hospitalization rates. We're about 140,000 people hospitalized nationwide. The heat map is pretty much uniformly red um, for, for the entire country at uh-huh. this point. Um, and so that hospitalization actually reflects a fairly dis- well-distributed or moderately well-distributed um, rate of utilization. There are certainly some hospitals that are getting crushed, um, but none around us quite yet. Where are we seeing the, the real emergencies? Well, it's, real, it's really where Omicron appeared earlier, right? Because it's, it takes 10 days at two weeks for you to get into the acute phase or, you know, the high um, morbidity or mortality phase of the illness. Um, so it's, it's primarily on the East Coast still, but it's, it's headed this way, to be sure. What about the scuttlebutt? The, the people keep talking about how Omicron isn't as uh, deadly or isn't as intense. It's not. Um, and, you know, I, I think we can safely presume at this point or infer that um, it's not as deadly or as intense. Um, if this had been the strain that it originally um, emerged, we would have been in a much, much worse shape. But it's not, and we're dealing with a strain now 
um, in a population that is, what, 63% vaccinated um, with some treatment modalities, much greater information, much better clinical knowledge on how to manage these cases. And so all of that is driving the mortality down quite a bit. Um, the vaccines are driving the morbidity down quite a bit. Uh, for those of us who are vaccinated and boosted, um, this typically is going to be a fairly mild illness. For those of us who are not, there's still a significant possibility that you are going to die from this. Um, it's less likely than it was with the earlier strains, but it is still a very dangerous disease. And it's putting a lot of people you know, to the tune of 140,000 right now in this country in the hospital. So... Is it milder or is it just that we are more sort of equipped to both not experience horrible outcomes? So from what we can tell, it's both. Um, okay. It's, you know, it, it is it appears to be a bit more mild um, in the completely unvaccinated population than the earlier strains. Um, it's. Its morbidity and mortality is significantly reduced because we have the vaccine. We have some of these other treatments that we can offer uh, for people who are vaccinated or unvaccinated. And they do have some limited efficacy, not anything like the vaccine, right? But uh, they are still rather effective, particularly, um, you know, this pill form that has arrived in this county, though I imagine we're going to use it up pretty quickly. Oh, so um, there's so, two different pills. Yeah. So we've gotten which one has arrived the paxlovid um the very expensive pfizer ah. pill. um you take it multiple times a day for five days or multiple pills a day for five days um we, we still have it last i checked um the monoclonals are in you know very short supply we are sporadically out and then we get a few more doses and then we immediately use them up again so oh. it's you know it's a little bit fraught Okay, so now uh, local governments are trying to respond to the the crush, right? We've had two years to get this response yeah. to. Like, oh no! Yeah. Uh, we need to respond now uh -huh. um, because, uh, of course, the numbers are through the roof. And on the front page of the Press Democrat today, Sonoma County has has put into place a 30-day ban on gatherings over 50 inside and over 100 outside or something like that and they are appealing to uh, residents to stay home unless it's absolutely necessary to go out what are you seeing how are people how are um officials responding and is it effective or will it be effective i don't think there's anything that's effective at this point i, I think there's been too much incoherence there's been too much just ineptness um you know from the very highest levels all the way down to the county levels at this point most people are going to just do what they personally feel they can uh, take on um in terms of their risk assessment and they're you know the people who are going to engage in the riskiest behavior unfortunately are the people that are not vaccinated um and you know that's that's why you know we're going to continue to see a fair number of people um dying from this disease over the course of the next month it's you know you can't even if this disease is only one you know third as deadly as delta if you're talking 1.4 million people a day contracting the disease that is still a huge crush of very sick people yeah. um so, you know, a small percentage of a very big number is still a lot of people. Um, and also, I mean, are they are do these bans or these uh, these sort of uh, lockdown lights? I mean, the, 
we uh, we're not even in a position to be able to do that anymore, really, are we? Well, we could, but there's not the political appetite. There's not the social will at this point to lock things down and shut schools down and shut businesses down. That's just not going to happen. There's not even any coherent discussion around that. You know, you only need to go to the CDC and look at their recent guidelines to realize that they're just kicking the can at this point um, and creating a very muddled, you know, set of guidelines primarily to protect, you know, essential workers um, so they don't, you know, as hospitals don't completely run out of their staff or airlines can't start, start keep flying. Um, but it doesn't really reflect science, honestly. Oh, yeah. Fun. That's encouraging. Yep. Well, okay, so what else have you got before we open up the phone lines? Oh, that's probably enough at this point that's in a lot. time. Yeah, you know, there have been some um, un- uh, there have been some fully vaccinated people that have been hospitalized, and um, we will continue to see that. Uh, there have actually been some fully vaccinated people who have succumbed to COVID um, recently. In this last week. Yeah. I, I don't want to get any specific case details, but, you know, that will happen. Um, and so it is still a time to be very prudent, um, particularly for the next several weeks while this mad case count um, continues. I think it is a reasonably good assumption that if you are in a group of more than about 10 people, that somebody in that group has COVID at this point. I mean, it is so prevalent in our community right now. It's probably going to get worse for another week. Um, It's really a good time you know, guidelines or requirements aside, it's a good time to not go out and be about hunker down. Yep. Binge watch. Yes. If you can, just stay home. Um, Okay, let's go ahead and open up the phone lines. It's 707-895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update here on KZYX, another special edition. We're just going to keep being very special every week uh, during this. Apologies to Dr. Trotter, right? (laughs) Right, Dr. Trotter got preempted by the special COVID show today. Um, Dr. Drew Colfax is live in the studio, and we're going to go ahead and open up the phone lines. Again, that number is 707-895-2448. We'll take our first call. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. Hello. Hi. Uh, So, question. Uh, We have a son. He's 35. He um, uh, got really mad at us because uh, we suggested strongly that he get uh, a vaccine. He got the J&J grumbling the whole way. Anyhow, he's come down with COVID. He never got any boosters. He refused to do that. The question is, after he heals, what vaccine should he get? Well, pres- and when? Yeah, so presuming that he um, is willing to get a booster, yeah. um, the general guidelines now, it used to be that we called for a very long period of uh, latency between a COVID illness and a booster shot. That's dropped. Uh, most providers will offer it after two weeks from recovery. Um, and the J&J actually as a booster is very effective. Um, uh, so if there is some resistance to the mRNA uh, vaccines, that is a good option for your son. Um, but any one of the three as a booster two weeks after resolution of symptoms is what is indicated in his case. Okay, great, thank you. One more question real quick. Yeah. I, I think that last show you talked about uh, how will the, uh, my question is how will the contagion, the increased amount of people, number of people getting sick, how will that add 
or contribute to herd immunity? Yeah, significant? yeah. So that that's a good question, and I, the last show was a bit of a blur since I had about an hour of sleep at that point. But um, what we're looking at right now is a nationwide population that's about sixty. Last I checked, I think we're at sixty-three or sixty-four um, percent vaccinated uh not 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 boosted our boosting rate is around 23 24 percent which is depressingly low uh, but that that rate that six let's take this 64 percent nationwide uh, vaccine rate uh, so that means that that percentage of the population has induced immunity right and our nationwide covid case count um, is about 55 million um, climbing at you know 1 million plus per day right now and that's confirmed cases so if we're at 55 million people that have had confirmed covid i think we could safely double that number honestly that puts us over 100 million um, people who've had covid in the nation if 65 percent of those are unvaccinated are vaccinated that means 35 percent of the uh, 100 million are not vaccinated um thus putting our total people in this country that have some form of immunity to COVID, either through vaccine or through exposure in the unvaccinated population that puts us somewhere around 150 160 million people in a nation of uh 300 million, uh, 320 million. So not there yet, um, to be sure. I'm sorry, no, more like 230 million people. Um, so not there yet, but climbing quickly toward that number, um, particularly at the rate of 1.4 million confirmed cases daily, um, probably more like 5 million cases daily right now is what we're looking at nationwide. So what we're seeing is the induction of a fair amount of natural immunity um, in addition to the vaccine-induced immunity. It's going to be painful. It's going to be horrible, frankly. And whether we get through this um, with the hospital system being overwhelmed with too many providers getting too sick um, or having to go out on uh, isolation or quarantine I don't know it's going to be a fraught couple of weeks but um, unfortunately we have lost the political um, and social will to shut things down we haven't had any sort of coherent worldwide response to this pandemic that um, could have prevented this from you know developing in the in the first case and we have you know very measured um, sort of anemic or definitely anemic um, actions by the federal government talking about you know 500 million rapid tests you know being distributed over the course of the next 30 days that is what one and a half tests per person over 30 days we need to have you know three tests per person per week to really get this contained and get it um, tied off that's just not going to happen so what's going to happen instead is biology is going to be ascendant and we all get COVID yeah thank you yeah, yeah I, I say also we i feel really lucky being in mendocino county you know my my son when he got sick and felt like he needed to be tested he lives in the city of sonoma and he traveled to sebastopol to get a test 
Yeah, no, there's there's a lot that is working in our community, to be certain. You know, the hospital system is integrated. Uh, we have a lot of people that are working to try to keep the beds uh, optimized, given staffing concerns and given, given you know, transportation concerns. There are not a lot of ambulances in this county. That is a recurrent problem. But in general, um, a lot of things are working quite well um, in a system that is, you know, just crippled, frankly. And when I talk about the system, I'm talking about the health care system. This is a very inefficient um, very expensive and frankly very poorly run system in general um, you know when compared to other um, particularly European nations or even our neighbor to the north Canada yes all right caller thank you so much for the call let's take our next call good morning caller you are live on the air good morning I have two questions uh, one is, is there an approximate time between exposure and the onset of symptoms? Yeah, so that, that's a really good question. Um, in general, it, it still appears to be about the same with Omicron um, as it had with the previous strains. So we're still talking, you know, the maybe as short as 48 hours, typically more like 72 hours, um, and as far out as a week, but it could be as far as two weeks, which is why we had that two-week quarantine period for so long. Um, in general, I think the vast majority of cases, so probably 85% of people who are exposed are going to develop symptoms, if they're going to develop symptoms, uh, sometime between day three and day seven of exposure. I see. Okay, number two. Um, this is going to be a good one. Um, has there been any investigation into the possibility of the people who get hit with COVID have anything in common, such as uh, uh, the pH of the system or the RH factor or anything of that nature? Yeah, I mean, at this point, there's so many people that have had COVID that there haven't really been any major trends that have emerged. I mean, there was some... You know, some early speculation that blood type actually was a major contributor to whether you got severe COVID or more mild COVID. That kind of hasn't held up as much as initial data um, suggested. Other factors um, are really not coming becoming apparent other than the ones that I think we all have internalized at this point. The big one, of course, being age. Um, that still remains the largest single predictor of uh, overall risk from doing poorly with this illness. Well, ouch. <laughs> yeah. 95. I know. I'm sorry. But that, that that's why it's important that, you know, we, we hunker down for the next few weeks. And additionally, it, it, you know, it, particularly for people who do have risk factors, for people who are over the age of 65 or certainly those over 75 or even 85, if you have mild symptoms at this point, it is incumbent to get tested as soon as possible because we do have some of these treatment modalities at least for the moment, um, that need to be started early on in the disease course for them to be effective. So if you have symptoms or you think you might have COVID, get tested um, and get to a medical attention because um, these pills are very effective, um, even in the fully vaccinated, fully boosted population. Well, happily, I have those symptoms. And, Doctor, I thank you very much for the info. You're welcome. Stay put. That's my advice. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my way of life. Thank you. Bye. All right. Thanks for the call. It's the local coronavirus update. The number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. We'll be here until 10 o'clock. We'll take our next call.
Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, my name is Jeff, and I live in Willits. And I was wondering about, um, couldn't we take an area like uh, Mendocino County and give them 30 days' notice and have everybody isolate for the, whatever period of time that kills off the virus? And then once that's done, then release them? Not, not that it's important to make them force them or anything, but try that in an area and see if we completely eliminate the virus? Well, that was that was the idea uh, right early on in this pandemic. Was the idea was to try to um, isolate and quarantine the known cases and test uh, the people that could possibly have been exposed. Unfortunately, that wasn't very effective um, for multiple reasons, mostly secondary to incompetence. Um, but now there are just way too many cases. Um, so isolation. Well, I meant everyone, not just the people who look like they're sick or might be sick or i'm talking about everybody agree that in this one area we're going to try this and see if we can totally eliminate it just in that one area and see if that actually works oh no that definitely would work and if everybody well we should do it yes but it wouldn't work unless it was done um you know basically worldwide at this point um that's what i'm thinking (laughs) well I, I hear you. It's a good point. It would have worked for the last two years, um, but there hasn't been the the appetite for a strict China-style lockdown where you are truly stuck in your room um, for weeks to months. That's just not going to happen. Now, if we, 85,000 people in Mendocino County, decided to all stay in our rooms for five days and not go out and the roads were empty, yeah, we would eliminate coronavirus in this county very quickly, but it would just come right back um, unless unless there was a worldwide approach. Well, yeah, basically I was thinking get the small area or a fairly big one like Mendocino County and say completely cleared here, this is all we need to do for everybody at this one per- point in time. And even if in a few people or a, mo- a lot of them didn't do it, we would give it one heck of a try. I don't know about any time when everyone in Mendocino has agreed on anything, uh, but I can just imagine people driving through and running out of gas on 101 because there's no one working no. in the gas stations. I don't know. It's, it yeah, seems like a thought experiment. Through. It definitely would work, but it's it's just not something that would ever happen. Well, that's just wrong with us. You know, there's more abortions every year in death than there were our coronavirus, and we're not stopping that. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that because people need access to abortion if they have pregnant, if unwanted they pregnancy. It's not if they weren't pregnant. That's true. That is <laughs> There's only one way to do that is not to have sex. <gasps> All right, okay, so no one gets to go way. out or have sex. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for the call. Goodbye. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, he makes he makes a valid point. I mean, if we had locked things down and stayed locked down in a way that was coherent, um, then this would have been contained. But it needed to be done, you know, worldwide, um, just as the vaccines needed to be ramped up and distributed worldwide. And that's still not happening. And we now have, you know, the previous caller aside we have less of an appetite um to shut things down i mean there's certainly no uptake uh, or even a reasonable basis to shut schools down at this point given the fact that this has been ongoing for two years um and so it's 
you know, it's the reality, it's the social reality of where we are two years into a pandemic. All right. Now the phone lines are lighting oh, up. Oh, yes. No, talk about abortion. People will call. Yes. <laughs> Happily. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Yeah. Hi. Is that me? It That's is. You. Yeah. Hi. I was calling in about a side effect I experienced after getting the booster shot that I'm really not hearing a lot of press about, and that is changes in my menstrual cycle. And um, I talked to a few of my fellow women that are around my age we're all in our 40s and four out of five of us have had side effects and um we've experienced heavy bleeding changed schedule Um, one person had her period come right back and um i just saw an article this week in the new york times about this and i just i was wondering if you have any information on why this is happening i don't i mean i've seen the case reports as well um it's not clear sort of what that mechanism is or whether there is, in fact, causality. It appears that there is, um, but it's still, it's still under investigation. Let's just put it that way. Um, it's, it's perturbing, um, I guess, to, to pick a word. Um, but in terms of the biologic mechanism, um, it's not exactly clear how or why this is occurring in, in this manner. Um, so stay tuned. Um, but it is, it, is a, it is thought to be a side effect um, seen in some women, primarily in their 40s, right? So um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a little bit fraught, though, because you know menstrual cycles can be quite irregular in the 40s. Um, and so... T- trying to tease out that data is difficult right um yeah. it's much well, like I, I, yeah you know, i have a very very regular predictable cycle <clears throat> and so this was a very unusual period two weeks after i got the booster shot <clears throat> and i just thought like you know i didn't i thought something was wrong with me until i, I a friend sent me that article from the new york times this week and i just think um you know there's 50 percent of the population have these body parts and we just haven't been talking about it. And it would be really helpful. Um, I do think it's a side effect. And um, I've seen other articles and other reliable news sources. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be anti-vax, but I think it would be really helpful. And it would also be helpful to know why this is happening. Um, no, I, I, is, is it indicative of something larger? Or is this going to keep happening? Or is this just temporary, like, too much of one medicine in my body all at once, I, you know. Yeah, I, I agree with, you know, all of your points, frankly. It would be nice to know better why this is happening. Um, you know, as it is with any side effect of any medication, um, we're still fairly early on in the data around this. Um, menstrual cycles, I think, are going to revert um, to their norm um, several months afterward. That's what I've been seeing, at least in some of the people who, you know, some of this data that has come out on this. But not for everybody. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's very difficult to ascribe um, an individual's experience to a larger pattern. But I agree, it does appear that there is a pattern here that is not yet really well elucidated. But it doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean, as, as I think you're alluding, it doesn't mean that there's, you know, anything wrong with you. Um, I don't think that this disturbance represents a dangerous side effect such as myocarditis or some of these other things that we're seeing from the vaccine in the minority of people but it's but it's there right and i agree it hasn't really received the attention that some of these other um 
side effects of the vaccine. What? Yeah. Something having to do with women's health not receiving right? attention? Yeah, boy, if it, if, it caused, if it caused, you know, male impotence, we'd be hearing about it. <laughs> it's a national yeah. crisis. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks okay. for the call. Really, really appreciate well, it. Well, thanks so much. I, I really appreciate your work. Appreciate Thank you. It. Thank you. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air. Oh, great. Thanks. Hey, uh, Dr. Korn, I noticed his report mentioned this term, uh, I think, positive antigen testing, and that seems like a new addition to the information. I'm wondering uh, what that means relative to the old terminology and if it's something different that they're detecting in the tests. No, I mean, so they're, they're different tests now, right? So most of the home test kits are just an antigen test. So if you get a you get a Binax or one of these kits from Rite Aid or Walmart, um, those are going to be antigen tests that you just swab the outside of your nose and you run it in the little assay fluid over about 10 minutes. And it's just like a pregnancy test. You get one line if it's negative and two if it's positive kind of thing. Um, that's that's the antigen test. And then there's the, the sort of more accurate gold standard PCR test, which is not being done at home, is being done, you know, in in labs equipped uh, with you know, seventy to one hundred and fifty thousand dollar machines that can run the assay, kind of slowly, uh, but much more accurately. Curiously, um, I would submit, and a lot of healthcare providers would agree with me, I think, maybe not all, but the antigen tests are actually somewhat more useful for individual um, risk assessment because that tells you that you actually are you know, currently shedding or have the virus um, in your nasal passageways, whereas the PCR test is almost too accurate, and you get a lot of sort of long um, tail positivity, uh, which can be confusing, which is why we don't rely on a PCR test to pull people out of isolation or quarantine, because some people are just going to remain PCR positive for quite some time. Antigen positive, however, tends to represent um, actual contagiousness. Okay, thank you so much for that. Take yep. care. Yep. All right, thanks for the call. I'm not a huge fan of swabbing my own. Swab early, nose. swab often. It's like it's better when the lovely nurse does it because she does it better. It's just less uncomfortable. I just I like really get in there. My kids really love it. It's, they do. Oh no. They, yeah. <laughs> you know, to each their own. Um, <laughs> this is the local coronavirus update here on KZYX. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, and we're taking your calls until 10 o'clock this morning. Back for a special, special... So special. Omicron number 47 edition of the COVID report, or the local coronavirus update. Let's take our next call. Not so local sometimes. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hello, I would like to know what is the current protocol for taking a walk outside with others that are fully vaccinated and boosted? Should we still wear masks? Should we wear no masks? Should we distance? What What's the current protocol? Thank you very much. Yeah, good question. Um, you know, we have talked for the last two years about you know, being socially distanced uh, that had arbitrarily been pegged at six feet. Um, I think, particularly given the contagiousness of this Omicron, um, that that's probably an obsolete guideline. But 
lo and behold, we're not going to change it because it would just add to further cognitive dissonance. Um, but I, you know, given the amount of viral particles that you need to be, you know, inhale basically to get infected with this Omicron, um, the six foot rule is probably a little bit more proximal than it should be. So I would suggest um, to the listeners who want to go out and do things, which is all of us at this point, um, that you actually mask up, um, even outside, um, at least for the next month while the numbers are mad crazy. Um, I, I just It's the prudent thing to do. You could distance as well but the distancing gets fairly great if you get over you know 10 feet um which is probably where you need to be for it to be effective so i certainly would go outside um and i would just wear a surgical mask it doesn't need to be an n95 or a kn95 but a surgical mask um you know is is more than adequate for an outdoor sort of walk with friends even outside huh I would for the next month. There's just there's the numbers are so high, um, and the risk of being with somebody who is asymptomatic but COVID positive, shedding Omicron, is much higher now than it has been throughout the pandemic. Um, you know, in terms of it being not Omicron, obviously, but any of the previous strains, and we know that this this strain is so successful because it is so contagious, um, and so the the penumbra, the viral penumbra, is just greater than the six-foot sort of social distancing guy. Penumbra, you mean like the miasma? The cloud, yes. The <laughs> cloud of viral particles that surround every person that's infected with it. Yes. Oh, that's an image. We should yeah. keep that image in mind. It sure would be handy if you could actually see it, right? Yeah. 707-895-2448. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Um, for a person who's been boosted by... Um, an mRNA vaccine five months ago. What's your recommendation for a fourth shot? So you were boosted five months ago. That's early. That means you were boosted in July, August, sometime? So early on, you were boosted before boosters became authorized. Good for you. You are an early adopter. Um you know, there is increasing data. I don't know your age or your risk factors, um, but there's very good data um, suggesting uh, that a fourth booster should be administered. That hasn't yet come down the pike. Um, I think that some providers, some clinics are actually considering it, but I'm not sure how many people are going to find somebody willing to give you that jab, uh, honestly. Israel, um, looking at the data, has gone ahead and started doing the fourth booster uh, for at-risk populations. Um, so, you know, continue your proactive stance. Um, if you're at risk population, uh, if you're not risk individual, um, which is to say, you know, any of these pre-existing conditions or age greater than 65, then I would consider getting a fourth booster since it's been five months in your case. Also, um, I heard some soft data that um, a fourth booster does not help you that much for Omicron, that it uh, re-stimulates the immune system to uh, to attack Delta more. Is there anything that you know about that? I, I think that's just that we don't have the data yet. Um, honestly, um, there's just not enough. There's not enough data that's been released in terms of the fourth booster further um, increasing immunity to Omicron. Now we know that the that the booster, the third shot, or in the case of the J and J, the second shot, uh, increases your protection somewhere between ten and thirteen fold. So that booster shot is enormously effective right now, um, and it's enormous important 
that everybody get one as soon as possible um, a point that I've been making ever since that data became apparent um, early in December but for the fourth I, I wouldn't I wouldn't draw any conclusion that it's not going to be effective against Omicron. Um, you know, we we know that the vaccines, despite these side effects that we've been talking about, um, despite the very low risk of a significant side effect, are extremely safe. Um, and I would submit that they're going to still be quite effective even against Omicron. And in your case, you know, if your immunity was last boosted five months ago, um, it's, you know, we're not there yet as a nation. Um, but would I like us to be there? Yes. I, I think, frankly, that the, particularly the immune compromise should be getting their fourth or even fifth shot. Um, but, you know, I'm not in charge. No. Well, great show. Thanks. Keep the good work up. Thanks. All right. Thanks for the call. Man, he got boosted before I did. I know. Yeah. Very early adopter. Good morning. Call. You're live on the air. Yeah. Hi. Um, we are having our annual town meeting here in Elk at the community center. Excellent. And, you know, yeah. Of course, it's something that we planned months ago, and we decided to have it be a live uh, meeting with a Zoom option for people that can't or won't come. And uh, so uh, just yesterday, I think it was, that I heard Dr. Corrin say that, um, you know, in public gatherings uh, where there are performers or presenters, uh, presenters, even the presenters, should be masked, which is something we weren't counting on. <clears throat> There's going to be people coming, you know, the sheriffs are going to be there, and other officials and lo- you know, heads of local organizations. And it just, I mean, I just want to hear your take on this. I mean, is it, was that a requirement, a request? Is it, is it vital that we do that? Uh, I'm just confused and dismayed. (laughs) So, anyway, I'm going to get off and let you comment on that. Yeah, before you go, though, when is this event? Is this this has not yet happened? I take it. It's happening this evening at oh tonight. Yeah, and it's indoor. I take it. Yes, it's indoors. Yeah, Yeah, everybody in that event should be masked. Honestly, Um, and the the presenters while they're presenting. Well, there's going to be. A series of people, twenty people, making uh, the you know the reports on the organization. Yeah, no this this sounds like this sounds like a just a little mini Omicron event. Frankly, um, yeah, they should all be masked all the time, unless you know, unless they're doing some sort of Olympic parallel bar routine that requires you know very high cardiac performance. There should be a mask on everybody. Okay. Yeah. So good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom option is looking really good. <laughs> okay. Thanks for the call and good luck with the meeting tonight. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. I hope you don't cut me off this time like you did last time. Well, we might, but go ahead. Dr. Colfax, is it not true that these variants are all coming from countries where people don't have access to enough vaccines and testing, etc.? Um, I mean, we, so my question is, what difference does it make how many boosters we get here in our country, which actually has the highest amount of COVID in the world, I believe, due to our broken health care system, maybe, if we don't vaccine the world, yes. how can uh, 25 boosters, we're still, I don't understand the concept. I'd love you to explain it. 
Yeah, so, I mean, there are two different things that we're dealing with here, right? The first is controlling a pandemic, which by definition is worldwide, um, which we have not done. It's a point that has been made by both callers and by me on this show for you know, quite some time now. Um, and yes, we're going to continue to see more strains and more spread of this pandemic until there is worldwide control. Now, that control is going to come in multiple ways. One is going to be vaccination, um, both at the national level and at the worldwide level. And the second, you know, more costly way is via, um, you know, a lot of disease um, and a lot of morbidity getting to some degree of immunity. Um, so, yes, we're going to continue to see this emerge and more strains emerge over the course of the next you know, months to years um, until we get greater uh, vaccine uptake worldwide um, and you know, enough natural immunity from previous strains that there's just not as much fuel for the fire, if you will. But the other strain, the other consideration then is our own sort of healthcare administration in this country, as a, and not necessarily at an individual level, but at a population level. We have to look at what is going to keep our population safe and healthy. And to the extent that that is occurring, it's occurring um, through the administration of the vaccine. You know, we're at 63, 64% nationwide vaccine uptake with only a 25% booster rate. Pretty lousy numbers, frankly, right? We're about 20 points lower than Europe, which has a similarly or slightly less expensive healthcare system. Um, and that makes a big difference. And so that really is driving our higher numbers in this country. It certainly is driving our higher mortality in this country when compared to other completely developed uh, healthcare systems worldwide. So it's it's a little bit confusing, right? You're you're frustrated, I think, in your in your in what you perceive correctly to be a very disorganized, uh, incomplete, and frankly lousy worldwide response. You know, in the setting of wanting to get people boosted, um, you know, nationally, and it's they are conflicting um, goals and objectives. They should both be able to be met. I don't think it's a dichotomy, um, but it, getting there is just proving to be ridiculously slow. Okay, thank you very much. See, we didn't cut you off this time. Thank you. For, okay, can I say one more thing? <laughs> sure. Uh, <clears throat> the. Someone mentioned it on the discussion that there is someone uh, in this country, a scientist, doctor, whoever they are, that are making a vaccine to make be available worldwide, you know, for free without patent. I mean, to allow people. Do you have any more information about that? Yeah, no, there are there are several vaccines that are being developed that are being offered for worldwide distribution off patent. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to be without cost. Um, and the notion of distributing, what's the world population at this point? Uh, 8 billion, 9 billion uh, vaccine doses times 2 or times 3? Um, that's... That is a costly proposition, um, and it's not just you know a, a question of the patent protections that the federal government has continued to bestow upon these uh, subsidized big pharma companies, you know that are raking in profits to the tune of a hundred billion dollars a year. So it's it's disgusting, um, and it's it's a solvable problem. It's just we don't seem to have the political will um, to to make it happen. 
Yeah, we could use the military budget. Thank you for the show. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Yeah, we could also use people not swirling around in disinformation and conspiracy theories, but actually all of us getting together and making some demands of our of yeah, our government well, con- about our health care system. Yeah, the conspiracy theories keep things interesting, though, right? They keep us pretty <laughs> confused about what we need to demand of our government, I think. Yes, um, they do. Okay. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Thank you. Could you turn your radio uh, off, though? I hate hearing myself oh. in the background. <laughs> Oh, okay. Thanks. Thank you. Can you turn your... I have a question. Um, I am quarantined because I was exposed, um, and I'm I'm in my third day waiting for the test result. My question has to... I was just about to get my booster when all this happened, and I thought, once you... um, If my test comes out clear, you know, negative, then... I'll just go and get the booster. But if it doesn't, what is the time frame for getting the booster if you are having symptoms and you are testing positive? Yeah, so if, if you have symptoms and test positive, the time frame is generally regarded to be two weeks after recovery. Um, if you're asymptomatic... How do you know you're recovered? Well, if you don't have symptoms. So two weeks after okay. the resolution of your symptoms. Um, if you don't have any symptoms at all and test positive, then it's two weeks from the time you're tested positive. You don't need to retest um, to you know feel comfortable getting the booster or getting, getting the, okay. the shot. Um, but that's the general protocol that most healthcare clinics are uh, following at this point in time. Okay, because my question is, is um, I deal with uh, Epstein-Barr, which I am, I take care of, mm-hmm. and then, then, you know, it clears, and then it'll, it'll rear its head, and I found that after getting my immunizations, it reared up. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the immune system says, well, I can deal with this, but I'm not going to deal with both of them. Right, <laughs> you know? right. And, um, you know... What kind of consider? Well, I just like yeah. So you're it. you're you're in a little bit of a unique circle, not unique, but it, you know you're a subset of the population that has an autoimmune con, you know condition. Um, in your case, in your individual case, it would be something you definitely would want to talk to your provider about as to whether they would suggest waiting you know three or four weeks after recovery before getting uh, a booster mm-hmm. shot. Um, I don't think that would be unreasonable in your circumstance um, or in mm-hmm. you know people in similar circumstances with autoimmune conditions, it can be a little bit uh, fraught uh, from the sort of absolute guidelines that, you know, that most places are following. Okay. Okay. Hang in there. Question? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For 81, I am very healthy. You sound great. Wow. Right. Um, I know how to do it. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot for the call. Um, we just have a few minutes left. We have an email. Um, somebody's asking if the current variant is somewhat milder and we're all going to get it, is there an argument for the healthier people with robust immune systems attending a COVID party? No. No. No, please don't do that. Don't attend any parties. Well, <laughs> parties would be nice. I mean, for those of us who like to go to parties, which I do not include myself. But not in the next two weeks. No. 
No, this is definitely a time where you do not want to intentionally inflict illness upon yourself or others. Um, hospital capacity is going to be very tight, if not exceeded, over the course of the next two weeks. So we don't need to be adding to the numbers. The point I was making and will make again is that our numbers are pushing our immunity levels quite high. Um, this Omicron variant is ferocious in its capacity to spread through the population. The curves are going straight up. Um, and we are seeing that in the setting of a nation with little appetite to take any real measures uh, to control it, which, frankly, at this point, I can understand um, because it's been two years and we haven't seen a lot of leadership on this pandemic really at all. Um, and so people are just fed up. And what's going to happen in that setting is we're going to see this huge surge, but we don't need to add to it. Um, we really do want to try to keep people healthy and free of COVID, um, whether it's Omicron or any other kind, um, for as long as possible. The best immunity is the vaccinated immunity. Um, frankly, qualify, the best immunity is the hybrid immunity. So you're vaccinated and you get a mild case preferably in that order. But I still wouldn't encourage, um, you know, the fully vaccinated, fully boosted to knowingly expose themselves to COVID. Uh, it's just, you know, the risk of you're then carrying it to somebody who is not vaccinated or who is immune suppressed, like the, you know, some of us are in this community is real and carries a significant risk. You only need to look at the, you know, four deaths in this county over the course of the last week to realize that this is still a very serious, deadly illness. So yeah. please, yep. no no COVID parties, um, at least not until COVID ends. Then, we can have a then we'll celebrate yeah. its demise. Yes. Well, it's never going it, it, to. COVID is with us for the duration. Well, at least we're not alone. Yes. Okay, we just have a couple of minutes left. We have three and a half minutes. Let's see if we can take one more call. I hope I don't regret this. Hello, caller. Can you give us a quick question? Yes, then this will be a question for the future. Um, if the, when the time comes that they're recommending everybody get a second booster, I've had three Moderna's at this point, three shots. Shall I get a, shall I get a Pfizer or a um, Johnson & Johnson? Would it, would having the other shots be better? I, I'm sorry, just to be clear, have you had your have you had a booster shot at this point? Yes. And how long ago? Uh, um, um, a few months. Yeah, so you you don't need it. There's no indication. Um, even even if it had been longer, though, there's still no um, recommendation or approval for a fourth booster. Um, you know, the previous caller earlier on the show who had, was boosted somehow in August um, before boosters were authorized. Um, you know, his circumstances is perhaps somewhat unusual. But two months since your booster, you're fine for the for the time being. You're certainly well protected against this Omicron surge. Um, February and March are going to be very different months um, than than January. Um, the data might shift at that point. We might actually start talking about a fourth booster. I don't know. Um, it also depends on what strain comes after Omicron um, and how potent it is and how deadly it is and how quickly it is uh, transmitted through the population so stay tuned but right now i would not go out and seek an additional um, booster shot in your case and frankly i don't think you'll find anybody who's going to administer it uh, anyway because it's not yet authorized by the fda 
All right, that brings us down to the end of the show. Thank you, everybody, for your calls. Um, it's been the local coronavirus update special special. Uh, I'm Alicia Bales with Dr. Drew Colfax. What do you think? Are we going to be back here next week? So we're doing the first and third Tuesdays. So next week is, is the, the third. third. So that'll be our regular okay. regular COVID show next week. Totally unspecial. No, yeah, it'll just be bland. But an hour of open lines calls, the latest update about the surge of Omicron. We're just going to keep you posted weekly at this point. I don't know if we'll be back the fourth week, but we'll be back next week. So just like the pandemic, we will be with you. (laughs) (laughs) And just like the pandemic, you can't get rid of us. That's right. At least you can turn the radio off. That's true. But why would you do that? (laughs) We're We're so much fun. All right, folks, be safe. We'll get through this. It's going to be a rough month. Thank you, Drew, for being here again. Really appreciate it. Um, And stay safe. And thanks, everybody, for calling. We'll be back next week. This has been the Local Coronavirus Update podcast with Dr. Drew Colfax, produced by Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can also hear us live on the web at www.kzyx.org. If you'd like to listen live and call in to the local coronavirus update, you can find us every first and third Tuesday of the month at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Our live studio call-in number is 707-895-2448. You can also email your questions to dj at kzyx.org. And you can always listen to our podcast, KZYX Local Coronavirus Update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music is Bad News Blues by Lucinda Williams, and our outro music is a song called Stumptown, composed and performed by Zach Borden. I'm Alicia Bales. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.